0: Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 to 23. I think I should apologize to those who listen to the sermons online that it didn't record appropriately last week. So I do apologize. I only realized that later when someone sent me a message. Um, So Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15 to 23. It reads, For this reason... As the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet. I Appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, indeed reveal your word to us this morning and conform our lives to it. I pray that you would help us, Lord, as we uh, look through this prayer for Paul. May it be the prayer of our hearts for us as well as your people. Lord, bring to mind what we have heard from your word That we may understand this passage that seems a bit complicated to some, a bit uh, you know far far away for for others. Help us to see the relevance of this word for us. I pray and ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I don't know about you, but I don't know how people I started driving. Uh, 2010 around there um i don't know how people who drove before 2010 uh, drove especially without maps uh, i don't know how people got to work on time or how they visited friends and family who were, who were in places perhaps that we had, they had not been before perhaps they had to memorize a lot of things they had to know uh you know the different intersections But maps have really made lives a lot easier for us. If you get a job somewhere, or if you're you're invited to a party, probably some of us will go on our computer and look for the map and say, where is it? Look on our cell phone. How far is it from where we are? Maps enable us to plan trips accordingly so we know how many kilometers we're gonna drive. We can estimate how much petrol we're going to need. To get there, they enable us to have confidence that we are going in the right direction. We are in the vicinity, perhaps, of where we need to be. These days, you can even see the, the actual building that you're going to before you get there. It can give you a picture of what it's going to look like. So that when you get there, you don't miss it. All of this has increased our confidence in the world. Wherever we are, some of us have it saved up. I can always travel back home. I know which direction home is. Some of us, we don't even know where north, east and south are. We are depending on the maps in our computers or perhaps in books to guide us. That is what Ephesians 1, 2, 3 is like. It is kind of like a map that sort of sets you and tells you not only who you are, but also tells you where you are going. The intention behind that is to give you confidence that you are going in the right direction, that despite the difficulties, despite the twists and turns in life, You are going in the right direction. You belong to him. You've been adopted into God's family. The first three chapters begin with that, by the way. They begin focusing with who you are. They begin with theology. This is who you are in relation to God. This is who you are in relation to one another. And then the the last uh, chapters tell you what to do on the way. We have seen so far uh, in Ephesians chapter 1 this instruction to praise God for his gracious plan for humanity. Paul has told us that we are in Christ between verses uh, 3 all the way to 14, that, that, that phrase is repeated nine times in this text. if to remind you again and again that your adoption is conditional on you being in Christ. Your redemption is because you are in Christ. In Christ, God has predestined you for salvation. In Christ... You too are included into God's family. Not only the Jews, but you too who is a Gentile is included in God's family. We've seen that. And this morning, what I want us to see from the passage that we're going to be looking at in verses 15 to, uh, to 23, is that Paul wants us to know God's plan in Christ better. By knowing that plan, we may have confidence. So on the one hand, he wants you to know the plan, but the reason behind knowing the plan is so that you may be confident in him. That you may move around in life with confidence because you know the plan, you have the map as it were that you know that you are going in the right direction. The main text in the passage that you're going to be looking at, it's quite difficult to divide this passage because in the original language, um, it's just one sentence from, from, uh, from verses 9 actually, all the way to verse 23. It's just one long sentence. However, the crucial section in this A a, a crucial clause in which everything hangs is verses 17. Let me read for us verses 16 and 17. Paul says, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. The essence of Paul's prayer for this church in Ephesus is that they may know that God would grant them the spirit of revelation, so that they may know him better. The goal is that they may know. The means is God's spirit, who is going to reveal to them who God is, that they may know him better. Why is that important? Why is this knowledge important for believers? Why is this something that is even motivated to, uh, to people who, whom Paul is speaking to, who you would assume that at least most of them are Christians? they have some working understanding of who God is, at least they put their faith in him. Why would Paul pray that they would know him better? Why would he do this? I think the answer is, is that as they know him better, they can be confident as they walk in life. Then what, are, what is the content of what they are to know? What is the content of that? We're going to start with we're going to break it up into three things. The first one is that they may know the hope that is found in God. The second one is that they may know the power that is found in God, and the last one is that they may know the authority. Of God in Christ. Let's start with the first one. That they may know with the hope. This is the end goal of God's plan. Seen from the perspective of why is it good for us. By knowing God better. They are able to hope in him. They are able to trust in him. Verses 18. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his his glorious inheritance in his holy people. So Paul prays that these people, God would somehow reveal, would reveal to them through his spirit, would reveal to them This hope, that they may know the hope in which He has called them. By faith, He is praying that their hearts will be able to see things rightly. Paul prays that they may be able to know it, the hope that they already have, and fully realize it. What is that hope? That hope is themselves, by the way. Look down to the end of, the, uh, of verse 18. The riches of his, of his glorious inheritance, where is it? It is in his people. Their hope is in his people. What have you learned about his people uh, so far? Is that they are the ones who have been adopted into God's family. They are the ones who are going to inherit in Christ. They are the ones who are going to be redeemed in Christ. They are the ones who are going to be saved in him. This is going to happen to God's people. God says, turns now to them and he says, hope in this. Know that that which I said was going to happen is going to happen. Know the hope in which you have been called. Know who you are, first of all. God's possession. One that is bought not by money, but by the blood of Christ himself. Know that you are, first of all, valuable. You are not useless. You are God's inheritance. You are the prize of Christ, the one who died at the cross for you. At times, especially us evangelical Christians, we are afraid of this. We are afraid of reminding ourselves who we are. Because a lot of other people tend to do just that. They tend to remind themselves that they are great, they are uh, special, they are princes. and Then we swing to the other direction and say we are just Nothing. Sinners deserving death. Yes, that is true. But those, whom, those sinners that God has purchased, they are valuable to him. They are treasured by him. They are loved by him. Christ just purchases you and then regards you worthless. No. He regards you Precious. So therefore you as a person are important to him. What that means is that he is going to, one, empower you with his spirit so that you can persevere and not fall away. And secondly, it means that you can come and approach him with, with confidence. Not arrogance, that you are valued before him. The second thing that Paul wants us to know here is to know the power of God, which is God's ability to bring about the to bring about what he said he will. Look, verses 19. And in his incomparable, comparably great power for us who believe, the power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms. The temptation with us, not realizing our value in God. You can think that perhaps God, even though he promises to save, God saves in two ways, by the way. He saves by enabling you to escape from the punishment of sin. But he's also going to save you ultimately in the end by raising you from the dead. You may be saved now. You, are, you may be loved, cared for, forgiven, but you are still going to die in the body. And you are going to be saved again as he raises you from the dead and you spend an eternity with him. The temptation is that we, cannot, we, we can say We can struggle to believe that. We can struggle that you're going to enter that eternal life. What Paul wants to see here is that the one who is able to save, to adopt you into his family, the one who is able to redeem you, just as he raised Christ from the dead, with that same power, he can do the same for you as well. You see, that's in the second part of verse 19. The power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly Rams. We will see in chapter 2, he will start talking about the fact that we too were dead in our trespasses and sins, but now have been made alive in Christ. He's starting to hint at that now. He's that the one who raised Christ from the dead is powerful. It's not enough to just hope that he will do it. You can know that he will do it because he has done it. If I come to you now and say, ah, you need to walk a certain direction. Walk from here to very anything. And I'm going to give you a million rands when I get there. When you get there. Walk with your barefoot it's a long journey. You would, not, you would struggle to believe me if I don't demonstrate that I actually have that million rands to give you. What would, even be, what would even give you more confidence is if other people have done the work and have actually been given the money when they got there. You would say, wow, if... This person can get it. Perhaps even I can get it. That's what Jesus does. He is the one who does the work before us. That we may be confident in God's power to raise from the dead. That he is not weak, He's not going to leave us to our death. God has demonstrated this. And then lastly, Paul wants us to know that not only does he have the power, but he also has the authority to do so in Christ. Not only does he have the power, but he also has the authority to do so. Verses 21 to 23. Says far above all rule and authority. That is, first of all, verses twenty. After Christ is raised from the dead, he is seated at the right hand of God. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age but also in the one to come. Verse twenty-two. God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body. The one whom you are putting your trust in, the one whom you are adopted through, because our adoption is through him, remember, our redemption is through him, our salvation is through him. He is the head over all things, including the church. We'll see that a lot more when we get to chapter 5, with different parts of the body. After God raised Jesus from the dead, He placed Him at His right hand and He put everything under Him. That is why our adoption and Salvation is assured. He is not only our access to God, but is our guarantee that nothing indeed can separate us from his love. Including death, according to Romans 8. Including suffering, nothing can separate us from him. The temptation is that as we walk through life, we may think that we can be pulled away. What Paul shows us here is that Jesus Christ is not like uh, if you've seen in the movies or in real life, like the bouncer in the, the cloud. The one who says you can get in or you can't get in. It's not just that. He's not just the way. He's not just the door. But he's the owner of the establishment. Everything is under him. Knowing him is the only way to get in. Therefore, those who are in him can be confident that he will preserve them. Can be confident can be confident in his love for them. They can be confident in the plan that he has set up. They can be confident that they too, though they may be Gentiles, have been adopted into God's family. They can be confident that even though they are sinful, if they confess their sins as we did earlier, God can forgive them. That is what this knowledge does. That is, what, that is why Paul shows us this man. So that you and I may be confident as we live in him. Next week, we're going to start um, to look to Easter. We're going to look at the fact that we too have, um, first of all, died you know, trespasses and sins. And our only hope is to be raised in him. Because God has done that in Christ. You are meant to look at that. And be confident that he will do that with you as well. But he will not leave you to the grave. That is what the word of God tells you. In my prayer, as we look through the book of Ephesians for the next uh, give or take four months, as we first see the plan that you may indeed rejoice at what God has done in Christ. That you may be confident in Jesus. Because a person who is confident, they can enjoy a lot. person who is sure of what is happening in the end, they won't mind the potholes. They will be difficult, but they won't mind them. They won't mind the rain. They won't mind the starvation because they know what is in the end. That is my prayer for you uh, and for all of us here in the church. Let's pray together and ask God to help us. Indeed, to put our confidence in him. Heavenly Father, indeed, you praise you for your word. You praise you. That we have Jesus Christ who has walked before us. We have Jesus Christ who is not only our predecessor, but he is the one who is in charge of all things. He is Lord above all. Lord, Lord, give us confidence in you. The word has reminded us today of who we are. And what we have in you. Help us as your people. To believe this. When the circumstances in our lives. Make it difficult for us to do so. Our perception by the community. By our family members. By our bosses at work. By people who do not want to employ us. Pray, Lord, that we be reminded of who we are in you and that that may matter above all things, Lord. I pray and ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen.